So this episode was put out by Mr. Wallace, Art Wallace, who also did Assignment Earth, which... <sighs> we'll talk about that when we get there. Directed by Sinensky, although Sinensky actually pieced out uh, partially through production, so John Meredith Lucas actually had to step into the director's chair for a bit of this one. I bet that was fun. It was his first time, but uh, certainly not his last time directing Star Trek. He will be returning in that respect later on. Uh, also, Leslie dies. Oh my god, no, Leslie! Do you know who I'm talking about? Do you remember? My water bottle remembers. Leslie was the guy who, I've actually pointed he's one of the more recurring guest stars of the Red Shirts, and he dies in this episode. But he actually shows up in several episodes after this. Same actor, same character. It's okay. In the original script, I'm not actually making this up, in the original script there was a bit about how uh, they came up with a miracle potion which actually cured all the people who were, you know, dead. Which is actually really stupid, but Whatever. It's okay, they have super blood. Let's just jump into this. So, the episode starts, and there's a smell. And of course, smell is very closely attached to memory, so it makes sense that this would be the kind of thing that Kirk would be like, wait a second. And so Kirk has to focus. He has to deal with this. I've got to fix this. And then they're like, well, hang on. Hang on, Captain. We have a ticking clock we need to go deal with. Oh, sure, I could talk about the specifics, but it doesn't matter. It's a ticking clock. And frankly, the only reason that's there is to add the extra drama to the episode. Don't mind, by the way. Because it needs to be there, because it drives... The fact that there is a ticking clock that Kirk is actively ignoring is the only reason there's an episode at all. In short, Kirk was in the middle of... How do I phrase this? If Kirk didn't have some urgent thing that he was dismissing for this, there would be no question of anything he's doing. He's, he might be a little bit fixated on it, but who cares? It's his prerogative, and it's not like we're in the middle of trying to get some perishable herbs and whatever else, herbs and spices, to get to the local KFC, right? But instead, with that dilemma there, now Kirk has to be fixated on this, which brings me to my question for you. Does he have a legitimate reason for doing this, or is he obsessed? I'll pause for a moment for you to comment down there. It's not like you can hit the pause button. God, I'm an idiot. What, now that you're done writing that down there, did I leave a palm print? That actually kind of hurt. <laughs> hit a little harder than I meant to there. <clears throat> if you go down there and you give me your comments, what do you think? Is it legitimate? Is it obsessive? I bring all this up because well, I think it's both. But I think it is more leaning on the obsessive side. And there's two big reasons for that. One is the fact that we have already seen Kirk has that mentality. He is a very obsessive person. In fact, frankly, most people who become Starship captains and have to deal with what they have to deal with as a captain, especially in this era, are probably obsessive to some point or another. Decker's another good example of this. But that brings me to the other reason why I think that it is obsession, because that was the clear intent of the writer. Uh, check this out. So, you know, I've got this book. I've been referencing it several times. And... Oh, where is this episode? They're all over the place. Here we go, Obsession. There's one tiny little quote for this episode by Art Wallace, which says, I was having dinner with Gene Roddenberry and I were having dinner one night, and then it came to me that it wouldn't be a bad idea to do a version of Moby Dick, which became Obsession. I just substituted the cloud for the great white whale. First of all, it's worth noting that Moby Dick has already been done on this show, and better because it wasn't actually Moby Dick. It was just a, you know, a revenge story. Conscience of the King. 
But that being said, this is still an enjoyable episode. I don't want to sound like I'm coming too hard on it. It's just, really? So, sure, it's Obsession. Whatever. The scans fail, naturally, because it can change its structure. This thing's kind of nuts. And then Garavik fires, but noticeably hesitates for, I'd say, about one second. Maybe two. That's critical, because it's going to be important later. This then leads to a small hearing where Kirk absolutely grills Garavik. Well, there's a good time to mention that Stephen Brooks, who plays Garavik, actually does a really good job. At first, I thought he was just another redshirt-type character, but he has a fairly large amount of presence in the show, and his acting does help to add to it. Although, he doesn't, he's not the best. I don't want to go, you know, overselling, but he does a good job with what he's trying to do, and it helps, because as usual, good guest star Star Trek, etc., etc. Either way, Kirk grills him and then punishes him for freezing for a second. Yeah, that's great. Of course, this gets across all of the point, that this is Kirk thinking of his own hesitation, which we don't know about yet, by the way. This episode does good exposition. There's a brief bit earlier where the ensign says, Garavik, and Kirk's like, uh, yes, after my captain. Well, you'll get no such, you'll get no special dispensation here, or whatever he says. We don't know the connection there, but it's mentioned early on, so it can be exposited upon later. It's good stuff. It's not the best exposition ever, but it's definitely good exposition. This then leads to Spock going to McCoy. And he mentions the dossier and... Well, basically, this whole time Kirk has referenced that he's encountered this before. And there's some previous incident, but we don't know details because good exposition. So this is when Spock reveals the details. Half the crew plus the captain killed by this thing. Ouch. 200 people butchered by this thing. That is not a small thing to swallow. And it makes now perfect sense, and now the audience has a perfect reason to sympathize and empathize with Kirk for what he's going through. I forget if it's sympathy or empathy, but whatever. It's one of the two <laughs> for what he's going through. It's worth noting Kirk's attitude definitely shows the intention of the obsession thing, but even that can be explained away. He's just... He's aggravated, he's snippy, and he wants this thing dealt with. And everyone's fighting him on it, or at least that's how he perceives it. You'll notice people continue to fight him on it pretty much up until Spock has his back, which is way after the halfway point of the episode. Then, finally, people are on board with the idea. I just wanted to point that out, because that's how much he feels like he is dragging these people, kicking and screaming, to deal with the, what he considers a real threat. Funnily enough, the events of the episode do bear out fruit on this. It was the right call to go after the creature because it was going to breed, and that was going to lead to galactic devastation. <laughs> Interesting thing, though. Kirk didn't know that. You see my point about why, there it's, why it's obsessive rather than legitimate? I'm just giving my evidence. Obviously, you guys can disagree with me, and we can talk about it. It's like civilized people because that's what we are. Except for you over there. I see you over there. So. Kirk questions himself in his logs, which is a great thing. And he mentions that he, and it's mentioned he delayed firing on the phasers for two seconds, and McCoy shoves it into his face, and Kirk shoves back, doesn't give an inch the entire time until finally McCoy says, I'm not here as your friend. Now, I bring that up because up until that line, he was. He was McCoy talking to Jim. The moment he mentions that line, that is no longer a truth. Now he is the ship's surgeon, talking to the ship's captain. You'll notice the very next thing he does is he goes over and invites Spock in. Very formal, very military. And the way they approach this is very succinct. You are demonstrating behavior that we consider problematic. 
it's time you explain yourself. Notice the camera work in the scene, by the way. The scene on the two of them stays kind of zoomed out a little bit. We've got a little bit of distance going on, so we can get kind of a relaxed tone. Meanwhile, the shot of Kirk is way up close, right up there in his face, to the point where, you know, it's you can see it's just the muscles straining on him. Finally, Kirk relents to the to the informal inquiry that they're forcing on him. He sits down, the camera zooms out, but now, because he's sitting, he is now sitting looking up at them, who are now forcing their view down on him. This automatically shows who actually is the aggressor in this conversation and who is actually slanting it against whom. Kirk then defends himself, but what's interesting is Kirk is actually quite honest in his defense in the fact that he does not know with total certainty that what he's doing is correct, but he has judged that this might be correct and therefore he is taking a gamble on it. He says it much more eloquently than I do, of course, but that's the gist of what he's trying to get across. This whole scene is poetry and brilliant and awesome and I love it. This, of course, then leads to a question I have for you. Is this a rationalization after the fact? Or is there enough of the captain in Captain Kirk that this is going alongside his obsession? This is one of the reasons I mentioned earlier the obsession versus legitimate thing is not a mutually exclusive thing. He could legitimately feel this way and also be obsessed, right? So... <clears throat> They go away at warp 8. This is a great scene, by the way. First of all, they find the thing. It's got this matter-energy ener thing. It's magnetically propulsed, which is great because it's basically a self-propelling propelling rail gun, which is terrifying. And then Kirk faces a very interesting dilemma, not just for the obsession, just in general. He is chasing a creature that he believes to be dangerous, and it can effortlessly outrun him. If he continues to strain the ship, remember, warp 8 is dangerous, and that is a recurring trend in most of TOS. There's there's one exception to that, which is iMud, where I can think of that. Other than that, going out warp 8 for a sustained period of time is terrifying. So it's like, okay, do I risk letting this thing go? Or, or do I risk blowing the ship up? So he's like, okay, <laughs> pull it back to warp 6. He's enough of a captain to rescue, re realize that pointlessly chasing after this thing is not going to accomplish anything. Even if they could catch it, which they can't, it's not going to do anything. I think Kirk would have pushed if he felt he could get in range and fire. He couldn't, so he didn't. Then this sucker turns around. This is good. And then, well, actually, let me pause for a second, because Nurse Chapel actually has probably one of the best Nurse Chapel scenes in the entire series so far. I'm not actually joking about that. Her scene where she goes in, she's actually given a role to act, where she confronts Mr. Garavik, is good. First, you'll notice she comes in like a proper nurse would. Oh, you know, kind of try to lighten the mood, start with jokes. Ah, oh, I see, uh, if you, uh, what was it, uh, self-recrimination is a terrible first course. Why don't you try the soup instead? And I've said this before, Major Barrett can act. I've seen it. I've seen her do a good job, as Luxana, for that matter. So she does a good job with this scene. And I hate to praise this one scene so much, but... Well, to be perfectly blunt, I haven't seen a lot of good Nurse Chapel scenes, so this is really the first time I felt the urge to comment on how good her presentation in the show is. Anyways. <clears throat> so, you know, she has her whole thing, and then finally she gets to the point where she starts getting down to brass tacks. This is your prescription. Eat. If you don't, I'm going to track you down and have you fed intravenously. 
And then just to really nail the point in, although I, I feel like this little addendum at the end wasn't necessary, but she goes down and McCoy's like, what's this? And it's some other random thing? Yeah, just some psychology. Don't worry about it, Doctor. Just proving that she does know what she's doing and is a good nurse. So then the thing, they fight it. It doesn't work. I want to establish something really quick here. This thing can move at warp speed. Okay, that makes sense. That's how it can move at warp, right? But I mean, like, it can function at warp, like the Flash. If the Flash had the ability to move at the speed of bajillion, but not process quickly enough, then all that would happen is he'd start hit go and then stop, and he'd be a bajillion miles la later, having absolutely destroyed everything in his path onto that, on his way to that location, right? So he needs to be able to internally process at the same speeds that he's moving, which is what this cloud can do. Now, why is this an issue? Well, it's the same problem with the Flash in most comics and other things that use the Flash. He's overpowered as crap. When you have someone that can move that quickly, things stop being an issue because they can just get around so many of them. The mere fact that the, the, the climax of this episode is possible at all for this thing that can literally move at warp is nonsensical. I get it. You need to have it for the episode. But you see why this is a fairly large logical flaw. It is also the only part of the episode I don't like, so definite kudos there. The biggest flaw I can consider is the fact that the monster has superpowers that it conveniently ignores when it's time for the good guys to win. Which is a big flaw, but that's it. They fail to take it down, and this leads to it getting into the ship via the vent. I'm going to say that one more time. Out in space, the gas creature gets inside the ship, through the shields, um, through a vent. Now I know what you're thinking. Oh, it could just phase its way through. Yeah, and if it could, then it would, but they make repeated and constant uh, reference to the fact that it can't phase through stuff. They even keep it sealed within Ensign Garavik's room. No, it needs the vents to, to traverse, so... Anyways, <clears throat> it's one little ship all over again. So Spock, this is a really interesting little tidbit. Spock says to Kirk, it wasn't your fault. It's actually a really powerful tool to fight guilt, knowing that it wasn't actually your fault. Basically destroying the guilt. Unfortunately, the overwhelming majority of the time, we don't get that luxury. It actually is our fault, so we have to fall on other things. But this is the same destruction of guilt that exists for both Kirk and Garavik. You notice Kirk doesn't take it. He just says, nope, I'm out, peace. Spock then tries with Garavik, and thankfully, because he's here, he is able to try and deal with the creature. This then leads to, I, I lied, there's one other scene in the episode, but it, this is a really minor nitpick. This is a really minor problem. The, the creature starts coming in through the vent, so Spock naturally puts his hands over the vent. I, I'll say that one more time in case I didn't get it. He, he puts his hands over the vent to prevent the gas from... and it's going... The episode then pulls a, oh my god, Spock's going to die! No! Commercial break thing, and I'm just, I'm really getting sick of those. I get why they were doing it. It, it, it was actually a ratings bump. They were trying to push up the ratings by ensuring people would watch the show and blah blah blah. Either way, it's worth noting, by the way, I've been doing some research on the Season 3 thing. By this point in the series, actually several of the executives were legitimately inclined to renew for a third season. 
just keep that in mind for for future things. They weren't they weren't decided. They were keeping their options open, but according to multiple interviews, they were leaning towards yes. Just interesting to think about. This then leads to Kirk having his little talk with Garavik, and as he's talking to Garavik, he lays out what Spock already said to him, and as he is basically telling Garavik it's not your fault, he realizes it's not his fault either. He then decides to take his mojo and run with it and go off a pure intuition, which has no explanation whatsoever, that he just knows where it's going and he knows why it's going there. And then they go down to set the trap, because of course Kirk is going to go because he's self-sacrificing, very recurrent. And this is actually kind of neat, and I'm pretty sure this is unique to the remastered version. Oh, hang on. First, we have our fight. You have to have a fight in every episode. It's really brief in this one, though. It's Garavik is like, I'm going to take out Kirk, and then sacrifice myself, and Kirk is just like, dude, what are you doing? And immediately is like, nah, punk. <laughs> it, it lasts like five seconds. It's hilarious. Anyways, now that we got the fight out of the way, they have the really, really, really slow creature approach, and then, oh my god, are they going to beam them aboard? Yeah, they beam them aboard, and they're fine. The end. As the Enterprise is going away, in the remastered version, we see the planet that is left behind has this massive, it's not quite a crater, but this massive blast radius that is visible on a planetary scale. Now, in fairness, there should probably be a gaping hole there, like an actual crater, but I'm still going to give them credit for that, because it helps sell the nature of how devastating this bomb really was, which they even mentioned, remember, it was, it was like, what was it, a thousand cobalt bombs or something like that? And how it needed to be that devastating in order to kill the creature, which can move at warp speed, although this still probably shouldn't have done it, but let's ignore that for the moment. And then the episode ends. Good episode. Good episode. I liked this one. I liked this one. And once again, the, the quality of episodes is just it's, it's doing this. I don't even know which one's next. At this point, it's just like a, a rolling the dice. Okay, hang on. Let's see here. What's our next episode? Whoops. Uh, that's a 15, so that's probably going to be a good one. And then after that, ooh, that's a 2, so that's going to be a crap one. This is what it feels like going through this show. It's so whiplashy. But I hope you've been enjoying the whiplash. I'll see you next time, guys.